0: Have you ever had someone promise you something that they were going to do for you and then they bailed? It's one of the most disappointing things that we could experience. And you know, it can be so destructive to relationships as well. One thing we know is that God will never do that to you and I. And on this episode, we're going to explore the certainty of God's promises. <music> Hi disciples and welcome to the Creator's Calling podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Madsen, and oh boy, we get to get back into the book of 2nd Peter. Now, it's been fairly close, you know, since our last episode uh in the book, and that's just due to scheduling things. I want to keep them though very regular. That's what the Lord's put on my heart. Normally it won't be quite this close, but hey, it's God's word. We need to be built up in it, and we need to be encouraged. So, Let's jump right in. Now, remember, on the last episode, we focused on verse 3. And that had to do with something that was granted to us by the Lord. Now, we looked at that, and we looked at this idea of God granting things. Now, in verses 3 and in in verse 4, there are two granted statements One follows the other, and there's a reason for that, which we'll see. And remember, these things that Peter is teaching us, what he's walking us through, what the Lord has laid out here for us, it's also critical for you and I as we face all that the world is throwing at us. Because it's coming from every direction. Disciples, you know this. It's like, oh, good grief. And the thing is... This is why one of the many, many reasons it's so important uh, for us. As we move ahead with our relationship with the Lord, as we move ahead in this calling of creativity that he's given us, boy, we need a solid grounding in the things that will keep our focus, keep our vision, the vision the Lord has given to us, clear. Because there's nothing that the world wants to do, there's nothing that Satan wants to do more than to keep the unbeliever away from the truth of Christ. These things are so critical. You know, and it's amazing to me. I, I look back and I think about, you know, as you kind of imagine Peter, he's gone through a lot in his years, persecutions, victories. He's seen all kinds of things and through it all. Man, he's seen the Lord just be so faithful to him. And he sits down and writes all of these things. And boy, the stuff that he's giving us, it tells us of his concern for the future of the church and for you know, what we're going to face. And he is showing the love of an eternal God as he writes these things down. Because false teachings are going to cause followers of Christ to abandon God and all that he's given them. You know, that's one of the most tragic things about all of it. There are so many things that we have in Christ, and Satan wants to take it all away. And he uses deception, he uses lies, he uses uh, appealing, uses appealing to the flesh, all these different things to draw people away and to keep them from all that Christ has prepared for them. And what's it all for? It's all for death, so they can spend eternity outside the presence of God. Remember, Satan's hatred for man is grounded in the fact that man was made. You were made in the image of God, and Satan hates that. So we see all of these components. And remember, we talk about death. It's, it speaks specifically about being separated from God. You know, Paul warned the Galatian church about these things. And there's a supernatural component that we have got to be aware of. This is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now He's talking about the angel there or somebody else, a man. Now, I want you to notice, supernatural, natural. He said, let them be accursed, as we have said before. So I now say again, if anyone is preaching, and he says anyone there. So we're talking again, supernatural, natural. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. See, Paul's pointing out here, and he's pointing it out to us. He's pointing it out to those of us in the church. But there's another gospel, and I, every time I read that verse, you know, all I can think of is the angel. I always call him, it's Angel Moroni that, uh, of course, is involved in Mormonism. And, of course, this is this angel that revealed all of these lies to Joseph Smith. It's remarkable to me. You see, and of course, in the New Age, angelic visions bringing lies, it's everywhere. So there is a supernatural component, and it's happening right now. But then as we saw in our last episode as well, there are uh, people that will come into the church. Paul warned about it in chapter 20. And they're going to call disciples. They're going to pull people away, disciples away from Christ. And they want them to follow man. They will, it's a personality cult. So all of these things. And when we see that word here, uh, contrary. Now I use, when I Giving you the Greek words here. I'm using the lemmas, which is the root word. And it means this. It's a marker of that which does not correspond to what's expected. It means against or it means contrary to. So when when Paul points this out to the church, he says, you know, uh, should preach a gospel contrary. It's something that doesn't correspond to what scripture says. It's something even stronger something that is against. It comes alongside and pushes against it. Now, we've seen there. You know, there's a lot of other Gospels. We run across it all the time. That's what cults are all about. Well, Peter knew it as well, and he's warning about the spread of these lies. Now, last time we looked at verse 3, and we began by seeing the imagery of the Exodus and the exile in the Old Testament. And we saw that we're either... You know, as we go along in our walks, we're going to be one or the other. We're going to be either in an exodus moving toward God or in exile moving away from God. And remember, Peter, we saw it. He says, don't. There's no middle ground. Move forward. Don't think that you can just sort of say, oh, I'm going to stay right here and this is all so good. No, you're either going to be going backwards or you're going to be going forwards. You see... We began when we saw in verse two that these, or verse three, pardon me, of these two granted statements. That this is what's implied there. This is what Peter is pointing us to. You see, if we're multiplying in God's grace, knowledge, and peace, then what we read about here in verse three and now verse four becomes an increasing reality in our lives. We have increasing life increasing uh, godliness why because we know him and remember he called us to his own glory and excellence in verse 3 you see that all those connections between the knowledge of god and being able to walk in these things that pertain to life and godliness oh it's so good now, the truth Peter then points out to us is that our own power is nothing compared to the power that we have available to us. We looked at it. We can achieve things in our own, but they're of no eternal consequence. They might seem huge to the world, but you know what? They're going to perish. And even worse, the people that don't hear of Christ, same thing. Eternity away from God. Peter all through the book he constantly and we were seeing it just in these few verses he constantly has an eternal perspective that is fundamental to living a life as a victor in christ now last episode we looked at genesis 11. we looked at all that showed us about sinful man and his motivations You know, and it's critical we understand these motivations. Why? Because they creep into us and, you know, we're being inundated with it all the time. And what Peter is desiring, he seeks to keep us from all of that. And there's an important truth he points us to uh, about our calling. Divine power is creating and giving vision of divine hope. And the world, they can't get that anywhere else. Remember, we talked about it last time, disciples. This idea of divine hope. There is a God who is a God of hope. And they see that through the things that we create in his power. Never forget what's going on in the things that you're doing. We looked at the word granted. The Greek word is doro eime, And it means to present something as a gift or to confer it as a benefit. Oh, we need to get Get our hands around that. Get our minds around that. It means that we can't take a t- uh, any credit for anything, but it's all granted. It's given as a gift. Why? For our benefit. God is always doing things for your benefit. If it's discipline, it's for your benefit. You see, it removes all pride. It removes the idea that what we realize that it's not us. That this is something God is doing. And we saw as well that there's nothing held back from you. You are never left out in the cold without the power of God through his spirit. You're never left out in the cold without the power of God through his spirit. Everything for life and for godliness has been given to us. We looked at all that means as well at the last episode. And it's given so why God is glorified and his excellence. Or you can translate that Greek word there, virtue as well. is shown to the world. You see, that's the thing. As you live this way, as you live in that power, the world sees God's excellence, his virtue. and He's glorified as a result. So, with all of that, let's jump in. Verse 4, let's see what, what Peter has for us here. He says, By which he, speaking of God, has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires." Now, I want you to notice something. There's something different about here in terms of this granted and the way that Peter phrases it. Now, we looked at it last time. God's divine power was granted, was given as a benefit to us. And it was for specifically all things for life and for godliness. That's what that power. Here, God Himself has granted us something of immeasurable value it's given something he has granted to us that is of value we can't even comprehend remember the idea behind granted it's to benefit us it's given conferred to us not because of something we deserve something we've done and what is it that he's given us Notice what Peter writes us here. It's the second part. First, we have power for life and godliness that comes out through the knowledge of Him. Now, He grants us His precious and very great promises. Now, remember, He's granted us. These are things that are conferred for your benefit. God knows these promises are going to benefit you in your walk with Him, they're a gift. For your good. Remember this, disciples, these promises are for your good, and there's a particular reason why they've been given. We'll see that as we go back down through the verse. Now the verse breaks down this way in three sections. First, the thing that we've been given freely. What is that? The precious promises of God. The second section is the purpose of those promises, and the third is is the eligibility for those promises. So that's how this verse breaks down. That's Peter's, you know, his flow of thought here as we move down through the verses uh, is so interesting. Since we are living in in God's divine power, we're filled with his life and godliness through his spirit. God has given us ways to call on him He's given us ways to be totally dependent on him as we live, move, and create in the world. Now, do you see what he's doing? He says, okay, I've given you, here's the power for life and godliness. And then, here's the way to depend on me. You see, Peter is concerned because he's seen it so many times. People are so apt, we are so apt to depend on ourselves. God knew it, so what did he do? He gives us his very great and precious promises. And as we move through here, through the book, we're going to see Peter's concern about people and that he's reassured. Now, remember, these promises are for all areas of life, but there was one in particular. We saw that when well, we saw the four categories of false teaching and the promise that Peter is going to really focus on throughout the book is, is really foundational, and that is this. It's the promise of Christ's return. You see, he's given us very great, his precious and very great promises is how he puts it. And the foundation of the promises is that Jesus is going to come back. Remember, false teachers were putting all of that in doubt. Here's the deal, disciples, if we can't trust God to know Jesus is returning, then anything else God says is suspect. Jesus rose from the dead. We were told he's going to come back the same way that he went. That's what the angels told us. He promises he's going to come and get you, John chapter 14. See, that's a foundational promise. It, people were, were trying to put believers in doubt as these false teachers. Peter wants to make sure that the people of God can know without a doubt that when Jesus said he'd return, he will. John chapter 14, verse 3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Luke chapter 21, verse 31 through 33. So, when you see these things taking place... You know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The promise of Christ's return, the certainty of that, is what every other promise in the Bible is grounded Even in the Old Testament in terms of looking forward to it. But God's word was good in the Old Testament. Jesus came. God's word is good in the new. He's going to come back. These promises, every promise of the Bible, is based on the fact that you can be assured that Jesus is going to return. That's what Peter's pointing to here. God's called you because of his own glory and excellence, because of his love for you, because he's done these things for that reason. And we see, it, we see it, of course, reflected. If you look at his appearance, this is so interesting. If you go back again to the book of Exodus, and God's going to appear to Moses. So remember the request of Moses? This is Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. This is his request. Moses said, please. Show me your glory. I want you to notice Moses' desire here. It's to see God's glory. Now, the Hebrew here refers to God's power, his authority, his light, and it carries the idea of heaviness. Think gravitas. Show me the things that make you so awesome. That's what Moses is asking. Supreme authority. Those things, the things that just make God so awesome glorious. He's asking, show me these things. And the glory of God seeing his supremacy in all the universe. That's what Moses wants to see. Now, boy, that's not much of a request, is it? It's like, oh my goodness, Moses, what are you thinking? But you know, I'll tell you one thing. What it shows you is how close Moses was to the Lord. He could just talk to him like that. He really, you know, it's just father, child. He didn't really understand what he was asking. But the Lord didn't say Moses, you notice He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that is a stupid request. He doesn't say that either. Listen to what the Lord says to Moses, and he said, "Now remember their quest." Moses says, "I want you to see your glory." How does God respond? He says, "I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious." And I will show mercy to whom? I will show mercy. Now, Moses says, I want to see why you're so awesome. I want to see all these things. And God says, wait a minute. I won't do that. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to put my hand over it. I'm going to pass by. You can look at my backside. But what I'm going to show you is my goodness. Now, the Hebrew word there, when it's, it's translated goodness, it means this. It means I'm going to show you the best things of myself. I'm going to show you my beauty, my prosperity, my cheerfulness, my happiness, my well-being. You hear that, disciples? It's God's goodness. He wanted to show Moses that. He shows Moses the best things of his beauty, of his prosperity, of his cheerfulness, happiness, well-being. That is so important. Moses wanted to see the weight of who God is in the universe. God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. Why? Because the Lord wanted Moses to know about him. He wanted Moses to see the things that are the very essence of our Lord. And that is when you're in his presence, that those things he shows, his beauty, his cheerfulness. I think that's so interesting that in this Hebrew word, really focuses on God's personhood. His beauty, prosperity, cheerfulness, happiness, well being. See, that's what the Lord wanted Moses to see. Why? Because he knows. He knows Book of Exodus, you know, they're they're, they're at Sinai. There's been some challenges already. It's going to be real easy to get discouraged, to get beat up. We see that with Moses. He goes through all of that. But you see, if you know of God's goodness, you see his beauty. You see his cheerfulness. You see all of these different characteristics that he is showing Moses, his cheerfulness, his happiness, the sense of well-being, all of that. Now, we've seen that. We looked at that uh, last time, last episode on Second uh, Peter. See, it doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances are. This is the God that we worship this is the God who walks ahead of us you see we see his backside just like Moses that's what he saw that's what we see we're following Jesus and those are the characteristics of Jesus we're seeing his goodness now look at how when Peter writes this look at how these promises are framed here he says they are precious Timios is the Greek word the lemma And it means that they are of great worth. They are of great value. Now, Peter uses the same word. It's always interesting when you're looking at uh, the Greek in these things, how each author, whether it's Peter, John, whoever it happens to be, uh, Paul, uh, each author uses words in uh, their subtleties of the way they use them. Peter uses the same word in speaking about the blood of Christ. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, there's our word, blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Precious. That blood is of great worth. It is of great value. When Peter here is referring to precious, precious, He's making the connection to the fact that the promises we've been given to, by God were bought for us through Christ. Promises that we have that were given for our benefit freely were bought for us through Christ. That's why they're available to us. That's why God the Father grants them freely to those that belong to Christ. Remember what Paul wrote to the Colossian church. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. He says "And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Canceling the record of debt. It's a certificate. It's a legal term that Paul's using there. Uh, it refers to if you went to prison, you served your time, and when you got out, you were given a certificate, you were given a document. And the document said the crime said that your your time and it also said to Tellesi it said paid in full and you had to carry that everywhere you went to prove that you'd paid your debt. That's what Jesus did. There were legal demands, for the demands of the law. Jesus paid them for us. He set all that aside. How he nails it to the cross. Everybody can see. It's paid in full. That's the whole image that uh, Paul is giving in terms of the Roman context. You see, somebody, when they had gone to prison, they had to pay their debt. Jesus came and he did that for us, though he had committed no crime. He had committed no sin against the law. And he nailed it to the cross that all the world could see. Wow, what a picture of what what Peter is pointing us to here. He says that the promises of God are great. Now, we all know this lemma. It's megas, means extraordinary. And then we have the promises, which is epigao. And it means to cause a state or condition to be or to occur. To bring something on. When God makes a promise, He causes, He is the cause of that state or condition to occur. When God says, when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, My God will meet all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That promise points to that God's the cause. He will bring it to occur. God's promises are extraordinary, and he's the one that causes them to happen. You see, that's why we can stand on the promises of God. There's nothing too great that we can ask that he cannot bring to pass. Do you need wisdom? Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. James chapter one verse five says this: If any lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You need wisdom; you got promises. God will bring them about. You need direction. Isaiah thirty verse twenty-one says this: Whether you turn to the right or to the left, you hear a voice behind you saying, "This is the way; walk in it." You have a need that you need met right now. God promises to meet those needs. God has a promise for everything in your life. Peter's telling us here that the promises made about the return of Christ are as certain as those predictions, those promises in the Old Testament of his resurrection. His resurrection is true. So you can count on the promises he's given us as well in his word all through the New Testament. And the foundation of those promises is that Jesus is coming back. You see, you believe that, and then there's every other promise of the Bible. Because that is true, we can trust God's Word. First Samuel 15, 29 says this, He who is the glory of Israel, listen to this, disciples, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie, Or change his mind. For he's not a human being that he should change his mind. See, God doesn't give you his word, and then he doesn't give you a promise, and then he decides he's not going to do it. He doesn't change his mind. God's given you these promises. And he can't lie. He does. In fact, it's interesting how the writer Samuel, first Samuel puts this. Israel, the uh, glory of Israel, I love that phrase, the glory of Israel. Is God the glory of your life? Can you say, oh, he is the glory of, can I say, is he the glory of Kurt? Because I'll tell you what, Kurt got no glory. Is he the glory of Kurt? Is he the glory of Sam? Is he of the, the, the glory of Barbara? Is he the glory of you? And he says he does not lie. Now I want you to notice the wording there. It's very intentional. He does not lie. That's not even on his purview. That's a part of his will. He he does not lie. He's too pure. He does not lie. You see, there's no double mindedness in God. I love that about our Lord. He is not He's not fighting it off. He doesn't lie because he's going, Oh, you know, I I, I really shouldn't. I want to. He doesn't do any of that. You see, God doesn't lie. There's no part of him that even thinks about that. Listen to what James tells us about the Lord. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who is who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all They do. You see, God's not unstable. When he gives his word, he has the power to carry it out. He is the very source. He's not double-minded. He gave it to you. He's going to bring it to pass. He's not unstable. You know, that's what doubt does for you and I. When Peter writes to us that we have been granted these Precious and very ga- great promises. He's telling us here that we can count on them, and that God is not double-minded, and He's not unstable. When we ask for the wisdom there that James is speaking about, he says, "God's not un- not, Don't doubt. Why? Because doubt will cause you to be unstable, and when you're unstable." When you're double-minded you will make poor decisions and you will make non-biblical decisions you will make decisions out of fear not out of faith see the question for you and i is this can we take the lord at his word james is emphatic without a doubt does it seem impossible right now is there a situation that seems impossible in your life do not doubt does it seem like there is not enough time Do not doubt. Are you worrying? Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I haven't earned any of this from God. Oh, my. Do not doubt. None of us are worthy. Never forget that, disciples. None of us are worthy. None of us have merit. It's because of Jesus. That's why these promises can be counted on. It's because of what he bought for us. His precious, precious blood makes us worthy. Not anything we've done. Do not doubt. And remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. This is 2 Corinthians 120. And man, do we ever need to get a hold of this because it drives doubt away. Paul writes to them, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen is spoken by us To the glory of God. Now, look at what Paul says here. No matter how many promises, they're yes in Christ. First of all, it's because of Jesus. He's the one that will put things into motion. That's why we have access. He says, And through him the Amen, which is so be it, is spoken by us. So we take the promise, we take it to the Lord, we say, So be it. Why is all of that spoken by us? What are we looking for? The glory of God. You see the promises of God as He works is to bring Him glory and that should be our heart. There's hundreds of promises about Jesus' first coming. He kept every one. It's all in the Old Testament. You know what? There's even more about His second coming and you know what? He's going to keep those as well. Peter moves us forward to the purpose of these promises notice what he writes here so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature you see it's these promises will cause us as we're dependent on the Lord we become partakers of the divine nature that's a really strong statement and it is certainly counter distinctive it's not about what we want to achieve we don't take the promises of God as the prosperity doctrine does and says, I claim it because it's what I want. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says this, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What's your motivation? James is really straightforward here. God's promises are not for our own pleasures, our own desires, our own passions. No, here's what His promises are for. That we will become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature as we rely on God and His Word, on the things that He has promised us. The work of the Holy Spirit is growing in us. He's moving. He's changing us to be more like Christ. It's a moral transformation here. And it's interesting that Greek word partakers, you're going to recognize this word koinonas. And it's one who takes part in something with someone. It's a companion and a partner, a sharer. It's one who takes part in something. You see, you're going to share. You're going to part. He's partnering. He's our companion. All of these meanings of that Greek word are wrapped up in this idea of partaking in the divine nature. It's God's nature made visible in you and I. He's our companion. He's our partner. We're becoming like he is. Remember we saw earlier with Moses, he wanted to see God's glory and God said he would see his goodness We talked about what happens there, but listen to what the Lord shows him here. This is Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses. Now remember, Moses here, he's only going to see God's back. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, now listen, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents, for the third and fourth generation. You see, what he's, he's telling Moses about his goodness. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's so to anger. He's abounding in love. He's faithful. He maintains to love. He maintains love for thousands. He forgives wickedness. He forgives rebellion and sin. But then he says, you know, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished he's also just see goodness isn't just oh all the all the things you know there love joy peace it's not all that it's, that's part of it but if you're really good you're just as well that's a part of being it's part of god's goodness you don't let evil you don't let things go because it means that things will spiral even further downward. These are the things of the divine nature. This is God's goodness. And finally, the last thing Peter points us to is the eligibility for these promises. He says, having escaped the corruption from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Having escaped, you know, it's you notice it's stated in the past tense. In Christ, we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Everything that's around us, the Lord has cleansed us from. It doesn't mean we we'll won't battle with it, don't get me wrong, but it does mean we can turn away from it. We've escaped from its clutches to where it's going to bring death. That's what Peter is pointing us to here, and it's right now in Christ. Now this word corruption here, it means the depravity that exists in the world. Because of inordinate desire. It's a very uh, important word. The depravity that exists in the world because of inordinate desire. You see, here's the thing. The world loves excesses. That's what we're talking about here. Excesses in sin. Excesses in desires of the flesh. All of that. Things that can never be satisfied. That's what Peter's pointing us towards. It's a constant battle flesh, our wills, spirit. But you know, as we grow, it goes back to what he tells us in verse 2, as we are moving in Exodus towards him, as we are growing to become more like Jesus, God's desires become ours. And, you know, Paul knew what it was like to battle with the flesh. He knew the things that we would struggle with. He says, and this is Romans chapter 7, verse 15 and 17 through 19. He says, I do not understand what I do. How often do you ever think that? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing." Oh, good grief! What a battle! Well, we know how that is. What Peter is pointing us to is that all of those things we've escaped from, they don't have a death grip on us any more. Will we struggle? You bet. But you've been set free in Christ. And Peter is giving us the reality of our condition right now. Disciples, focus on that. This is the reality. Those sinful desires are defeated. The corruption is defeated. So we can continue to walk in exodus towards the Lord. Listen to what uh, what Paul wrote to the Roman Church Romans 8 20 to 21. It says, "For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God." You see, all of that sinful stuff causes decay. We're living in a world that's causing decay. You've been liberated. We've been freed to do one thing, to show God's glory. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 says, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. See, that's what God does in the creation. He's doing the same thing in us. We're becoming new every morning, Scripture says. We've been set free. We're not imprisoned. Peter reminds us here, we've we've escaped with the world, the corruptions of the world. You see, God's Word, He's driving this home, disciples. A life of total dependence on the Lord and His power to do whatever He needs to be done, whatever He desires to do through you. God's Word, God's promises to you and I, they're sure and they are certain. Peter has laid out the beginning steps of what we need to walk like a victor. And as we do, there are others who are one into the saving knowledge of Christ. That is just quite a verse, disciples. Good grief, we could have gone on for a long time with this. I am am just so excited about everything that the Lord uh, gives us here in his word. Thank you so much. For listening to the podcast, disciples. Now, don't forget to share, to give a review, uh, or to rate the podcast on your favorite platform. What that does is it'll the rating, giving a review is going to help uh, get the podcast uh, found by more people. And disciples, you know, there's somebody. Look at what well, look at everything that Peter wrote here. It's absolutely remarkable. Look at all this stuff. You know, there's somebody who needs to hear from the Lord. Share the podcast with them. Build them up. Let the Lord minister and strengthen to them because that's what God desires to do. Now, you can keep in touch with me on Instagram or on Gab at The Creator's Calling. The music on the podcast is by Chris Matson Worship, and you can follow him on Instagram or on YouTube at Chris Matson Worship. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please, join me next time as together we follow Jesus and listen for The Creator's Calling. Bye for now.